to the Voice of HK podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Bajik-Smith, and in over a decade, I have supported hundreds of older adults to improve their well-being in late life. This podcast offers an authentic insight into aged care, practical tips, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person needs to feel heard, loved, and understood. And it is my mission to halve the depression rates in Australian aged care facilities by 2022. Welcome, everyone. I'm very honoured to have a special guest with us today. Um, Sunil Barr is a professor of psychology at Swinburne University of Technology. He also somehow, I don't know with time management how you can do all that, but he also manages a private practice and he sees older adults. He'll tell us a little bit more about it. Sunil has recently started a clinic for older people um, who live in aged care services. So it's run by Swinburne National Telehealth Counselling and Support Services for the aged care. And I think it's a wonderful initiative for all those who live in aged care facilities and particularly what they're going through the, with the pandemic. Welcome, Suno. Great, thank you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? I mean, I know I introduced you as a, an academic and also as a clinician, but can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to focus on aged care? Well, I completed my PhD in about 2005. And uh, in fact, my PhD was on an anxiety disorder called obsessive compulsive disorder. And having just finished my PhD, I was looking for work. And there was an email that was floating around the world at that point by uh, Aaron Beck, the great Aaron Beck, who has developed CBT. So for our listeners, CBT is? Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, yeah. And he's known as the founding father of uh, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, which is really the most validated form of psychotherapy around. And uh, he was calling for postdoctoral fellows, and so I applied and I got the job. And my job was to direct a study on whether this form of therapy was effective for older men. And so I travelled to the US and spent a few years there and got to work with lots of older men and their families and discovered that there was a great need to bring psychology and psychotherapy to the older folks. When I came back to Australia in uh, 2009 or so, I discovered that you know, psychology and mental health practice was very, very invisible in the aged care sector. There were so few psychologists around who really worked with older folks. And um, particularly in residential aged care, there was such a need for mental health care, but so few people with any real confidence or competence to offer that care. And so that's, that's how I got interested in working with older people and interested in helping to train the workforce so that when you, know, when you and I are living in nursing homes in the future, we'll have a workforce who is, uh, that is trained, a workforce uh, that is competent and sensitive to the needs of older adults. Absolutely. And so much has happened over the last decade in terms of awareness and education and supports available for the aged. It, it really has been tremendous. And I remember, you know, even you mentioning some of those 
challenges that you had um, in 2009. I certainly know when I was first approached about doing some work in aged care facilities in 2010, that it was the same. There was just so few and far resources and peers that related to that type of work. I, I really struggled to find someone who could supervise me and support me at that stage. So you're fairly involved in training and upskilling psychologists to work in aged care. Why is this important to you? Well, you know, psychologists are seen as uh, healthcare professionals who deal with uh, human suffering and uh, are trying to improve the well-being of others, along with social workers and counsellors and OTs. And there is such a need for psychological help within residential aged care. In fact, some research has suggested that up to 70% of people living in residential aged care have significant symptoms of mental health issues, whether it be depression or anxiety, uh, or even in some cases, suicidal ideation. And yet there is really not a great deal of creative thinking about how to bring mental health care to people in their 80s and 90s who are living with multiple comorbidities, who are extremely frail, and who have some very interesting uh, views about psychology. So we were very interested to see if we could train psychologists and other allied healthcare professionals to customize and adapt some of those evidence-based treatments that do work for depression and anxiety, to customize them so that they would become more palatable, more accommodating, more sensitive uh, to the needs of older adults living in care. And so I've noticed that, you know, there hasn't been much in terms of how mental health is screened in those people in aged care facilities, particularly, you know, suicidality and, and other conditions other than just depression and anxiety. So in the last decade, there has been, you know, more measures specific to this population and perhaps getting more mental health professionals to go to aged care homes is uncovering all the issues that are happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're in a a really interesting time, aren't we? Uh, the Aged Care Royal Commission is is uh, active as we speak. A couple of years ago, the federal government released a few million dollars, well, $82 million to bring psychological services into residential aged care. Certainly more discussion about, you know, how we can better screen for mental health problems within aged care. And some of the tools are just not, are just not feasible. A lot of the tools that we use in psychology really rely on self-report. And if you've got problems with the eyesight and you're too frail to you know, hold a pen, or really if you have high levels of cognitive impairment, you're just not able to provide an indication about how you're doing. So we are really relying on aged care staff to be very tuned in to what is normal, what is abnormal when it comes to mental health. We want people to understand that age and depression are not synonymous just because you're older and living in an aged care facility doesn't mean that you have to be depressed. So we want aged care staff to be more sensitive to picking up on those cues that might lead them to think, hmm, maybe there's something going on here in terms of mental health and it's time to make a referral or it's time to bring the mental health care team in. Mm. And you, you're not just referring to mental health conditions, you know, as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. It's more so the common mental health conditions as well that could be affecting the individual quite significantly and not just their well-being but also their physical health. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's quite true. That's quite true. In fact, the, the phrase mental health problems does raise that stereotype, doesn't it, of someone having a diagnosis such as schizophrenia or so on. Well, you know, in, in some ways that is true. We, we have to accept that older people, just like younger people, have a spectrum of mental health in issues ranging from the mild to the moderate right up to the severe end. I think when people have very severe mental health problems, it's easier to spot. And there are teams, uh, mental health psychiatric teams, uh, that are focused on the mental health of older adults, particularly when they reach that severe end. But it's really those uh, older adults who are living with, I guess you could say, milder forms of mental health issues, whether it be uh, you know, worrisome symptoms, uh, anxiety, depression, or even if they're feeling very socially isolated or lonely and very flat. Those are the people that tend to get missed. They don't create a lot of problems for the aged care staff. They tend to keep to themselves. And so it's more difficult to screen them for mental health. Yes, yes. And in some way, the staff might perceive those residents to be easy because they're not taking a lot of their time and energy. And in fact, the person could be internally not doing well at all. And yet not having, not having insight that it is a mental health condition. You know, going back to what you said about self-report you know if you give them a questionnaire and say do you have depression or anxiety they might not realize that those symptoms are in fact that you know that condition that's right exactly there's a lot to be said about the language that we use you know if you ask an older person you're feeling anxious they might say no but you know if you ask them questions such as um you know uh, do you have butterflies in your stomach or something like that you rephrase the question in a way that make sense to them, they might start to accept that maybe, you know, they're not feeling as well as they could have. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've certainly done a number of assessments in aged care homes where, you know, I met the person for the first time and, you know, they gave this amazing first impression that everything was wonderful. And, you know, in those instances, I think it's so important to get as much background information and Cornell scores or admission papers or anything that can lead the conversation and find language that can relate to the older person rather than straight up, do you have depression, anxiety or suicidal ideation? A lot of them worry that if they open up that they might actually be moved out of the facility to a mental health unit. That seems to be a common theme that comes up. And so, you know, this leads me to a next question that I wanted you to tell our listeners a bit more about the telehealth counselling that you've set up through Swinburne University. Who is it for and, and how can people get access to it? Well, you know, we've been very interested in helping the aged care community for now a decade. And so in 2011, we began the Wellbeing Clinic for Older Adults. And it was very old school. Now that I think about it, we used to send our postgraduate students studying psychology or social work or counselling into residential aged care facilities, really in the Melbourne area. We never thought for a minute that we could offer it through telehealth. Who would have thought that the older person living in an aged care facility could operate via Zoom or an iPad and so on? So we were very biased in our stereotypes. We thought face-to-face -face treatment was the way to go. But since March this year, for obvious reasons, we weren't able to continue offering counselling on a face-to-face -face basis. And so we experimented by switching our services to telehealth. And in fact, that's happened in many organizations. They've, they've switched from face-to-face -face treatment to telehealth. And we've been very pleasantly surprised over the last six months or so at how accepting the older adult community in aged care has been. 
in operating in this way. So we provide telehealth services now to all aged care facilities in Australia. We're a national service. We regard uh, our clients as aged care residents, but also their families as well as staff. And so we try and bring some comfort to the aged care community as we see it, uh, not just the aged care residents, but also facility staff and families. And um, we don't see ourselves as a hotline. We're not set up as a point of crisis where someone can call us. In fact, uh, we see ourselves more like an outpatient clinic where if you'd like our services, we require a referral. But the referral could come from anywhere. It could come from the person themselves. It could come from a concerned family member. It could come from a staff. And once we receive the referral, we will then contact the person, whether it be a resident, a family or staff, and talk to them about what they might need. And in that way, begin to form a relationship, a therapeutic relationship with the individual where we can contact them over weeks or over months to support them uh, through the next few months and so on. Okay, that sounds fantastic. It's a much needed service. And I really hope that, you know, there's more and more people that, that take it up. I remember speaking to one of my mentors last year, I think it was, and I, I mentioned the prevalence of mental health condition in aged care facilities, and she said, it, it sounds like you know, nursing homes are incubators for these mental health conditions, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to be surrounded you know, 24-7 by 70% of people around me experiencing mental health conditions. So what do you think would be the benefits for those who receive services through telehealth? Well, I think there are a few possible benefits. One is that it's very validating just to talk to somebody who is trying to understand what you're going through. For many of the residents, there just, just aren't those opportunities to share what's going on for yourself, particularly if family are, are no longer allowed to visit or staff are really quite time poor. So just having somebody listen to what you're going through and validate your experiences can be quite therapeutic. But, you know, we've also discovered that when we work with residents, it's important to work in a systemic way where it's not just the one-on-one relationship that's important, but it's also about bringing into the treatment staff and family where possible so that some real changes can also happen in a very concrete way. So, for example, if someone is living in um, in a facility and, you know, they're having trouble making their preferences known to a resident, to a staff that's something that we can help with as well. We can maybe have a joint conversation with the resident and the staff and just talk about what might be quite difficult for the resident to bring up on on their own. Uh, Sometimes uh, residents might benefit from having things installed in their room, such as a whiteboard or some kind of visitor book where they can keep track of who's visited them and so on. Helps with the memory issues. And the resident, again, might not know that this is a possibility. So that's something else that the counsellors could try and help organise with the help of staff. Mm, That's fantastic. So as we see it there, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of validating the experiences of the resident, but also in bringing about some concrete changes. Fantastic. And we're talking about the pandemic of what is going on, but the reality is that there are a number of residents who may be isolated to start off with, who may not have visitors or family members involved. Do they also benefit from this service and the counselling? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're quite right to bring that, that up. 
there are lots and lots of residents who really don't have visitors. You're quite right about that, who are feeling very isolated and very lonely. But there are also residents who are living in remote and regional areas of Australia, and they just don't have access to face-to-face therapists. There just isn't that sort of service out there. And then we have those facilities, as you know, that go through lockdowns periodically, pandemic or no pandemic, whether it be the gastro uh, lockdowns or flu lockdowns where visitors are restricted from visiting. So a service such as a telehealth service has a real potential, I suppose, to you know, to offer some comfort, particularly when face-to-face visitations are disrupted in some way. Can you please share with our listeners about the counselling? Like, what is it five days a week? What sort of hours could phone calls be made? And what is the process, you know, if... If the phone number is provided, how long would it be till the person can speak to the counsellor? Okay. So the best way of referring a client to us is to jump onto our website. I can give you the address if you like. Uh, yes, that would be great. And we can share it at the end when we share the, the episode. Yeah. Okay. So the website is uh, www.swin.edu.au forward slash telehealth counselling. Once you get onto that website, you will see a link to make a referral to our service. Uh, and like I said, you can refer yourself or you can refer others. We don't need a doctor or a GP to make the referral. Once we get information about the client, uh, we will then call the referrer first just to check that our understanding is correct and to also really check that the client is aware that a referral has been made and to really brainstorm with the referrer how to best contact the client. Because as you know, many older people don't understand what counselling is. And so we don't want to hold call the client and say, hello, we're here to provide you with counselling. That's a very, very great recipe of breaking any form of engagement. So we want to make sure that we can approach the client in a respectful way, in a way that they would understand. Usually it takes us a few days to get back to the referrer. Currently, we're receiving between one and five referrals every day from all around Australia. Uh, And so our counsellors might take a bit of time to get back to the referrer. And we do ask for information about when the best time is to contact the referrer so that we can contact the referrer at a time that suits them. And when we contact them, we ask questions such as, what is the problem that you've been noticing? What's the goal? Uh, How best can we approach the client? And so on. Once we get that conversation done, we then contact the client. Uh, Sometimes we do that independently. Other times we do it through the referrer and we introduce ourselves and we we really ask them what they would like from the service. Mm -hmm. And often clients tell us that it would be just nice to talk to someone on a weekly basis. And so we set up an appointment time with the client and we call them back on a weekly basis and offer them comfort and counselling. Sometimes our counselling is very precise. We, we work from a cognitive behaviour therapy point of view. Sometimes we offer reminiscence therapy. Uh, sometimes we offer behavioural activation, which is really trying to get them to design a day that feels meaningful and purposeful for them. But most of the time, our counselling is perhaps what you'd call supportive, where really what we're doing is hearing them out, providing them with a listening ear, as they say, and really validating their experiences. And typically, a lot of our clients receive about between six and eight appointments. And by that time, they're feeling a bit better and a bit able to continue on on their own. Or we refer them to other services or link them back to the facility. Okay. So, 
If someone wants to re-engage the service down the track, are they able to do that after six to eight sessions? Of course, of course. In fact, we, we don't set a cap ourselves. This is very exploratory and we want to be there to support the resident, their families and staff for the longer term. So if, if they would like to continue with us beyond that period, that would be fine. If they'd like to come back to us at some other point, that would be fine as well. And I'd like to say that there's no cost as well. So uh, it's completely free for residents, family and staff. Okay. So for everyone to access the service, they need to get onto the website to register, even for the residents of HK Homes? That's right. Yeah. So they need to get someone to help them get to that website. So that's really helpful for families to know or for facility to know. So it could be a daughter that's concerned about her mother in aged care home that might fill in the form and she could be the informant. Would you still need to talk to the facility or would you be okay just having that contact with the older person and their next of kin? Yeah. Typically, we'd like to have some contact with the facility if it's appropriate. We recognise that residents are entitled, of course, to their privacy, just like all of us are. And so we don't want to include too many people without knowing what the story is. But we found that it's often quite useful to touch base with the facility, particularly in, in circumstances where there might be a possibility of risk. And what I mean is risk of self-harm or harming others. Uh, because we're not on, on the ground with the person, it's quite useful to touch base with the team that is responsible for caring for that person. So as you can see, it's not a, a straightforward experience of just picking up the phone and speaking to the resident. Sometimes we require staff to, in fact, to help facilitate that appointment. Uh, some of our residents really don't have much comfort in using technology, such as iPads and laptops, and they don't know how to operate uh, through uh, video calls. And so they might really need the help of staff to facilitate that. That's so important. And that's why it's so important for them to understand how to get access and when appointments are being made so that they can maybe get that reminder as well on the day. Now, Sunil, you briefly touched on reminiscence. And I was wondering if you would be able to share with our listeners a little bit more about the benefits of it and how we can all engage in some reminiscence with older people. You know, I guess my concern is that we're getting there in terms of having better conversations and more meaningful conversations with older people, but there's still that stigma associated with what does a mental health professional do and what, what do others do? So would you be able to just tell our listeners a little bit more about reminiscence, life review, and the difference between the two, and what is life review therapy as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the word reminiscence is used in so many different ways, isn't it? In, a, in an everyday context, we talk about reminiscence as just talking about the good old days. And in fact, we do it quite naturally and quite spontaneously. And it might happen when we meet somebody who we haven't met in a while, for example, if we are brave enough to go to a school reunion, we might start reminiscing quite spontaneously and talk about the school days and so on. But in a therapeutic context, there are really three ways in which we can offer reminiscence. One is called simple reminiscence, which is really about trying to get people to talk about the past as a way of connecting with each other. So for example, we might do that through a group uh, where people talk about cutlery or clothes or fashion or something like that, that everyone can kind of join in and talk about. And it's a great way of uh, getting people to know each other and bonding with each, each other. 
And that's what we call simple reminiscence, or sometimes it's called social reminiscence. On a one-to-one basis, typically the counselor would use other forms of reminiscence, including life review therapy. Life review therapy is very precise in that it's trying to understand past problem-solving successes, times of mastery, if you like, and accomplishment, so that the, the person who's talking about their lives can remember that they have great resources at hand, that they've used creativity or ingenuity in the past to solve problems. And can I tell you, anyone who's alive in their later years is a survivor and a problem solver. And so the purpose of life review therapy is to kind of prime the person to think about themselves as a problem solver. Perhaps they've survived a difficult marriage. Maybe they've been able to get by with having different jobs. Maybe they've lived through the war and they've survived somehow. So there is a story of triumph or survivorship somewhere in someone's life. And the job of the counselor is really to try and validate that experience. The third form of reminiscence is called life review. And sometimes this is known as autobiographical work. And the purpose of life review is not to focus on experiences of mastery, but really to understand the person's life as it has been lived. And for the person, perhaps for the first time, to be able to tell the story of their life and to understand the themes that have run through their lives or the values that they've brought uh, through their many, many different experiences. And often when people get a chance to talk about their life in entirety, the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy, they begin to see how unique their life has been. And they start to get a real sense of who they are, their sense of identity. And so life review or autobiographical work can be very enriching for the individual because it really kind of highlights who that person is. When people hear about reminiscence, I've generally uh, found that people have one of two responses. One is that they're very afraid. They don't want to go back into the past. So people might say, oh, don't ask you know, so-and-so about their past. Let's leave the past well behind. Let's not rock the boat. And some families are very uncomfortable about reminiscence uh, for that reason. They, they, they don't want to open up old wounds. And the opposite reaction is also very, very strong, where people think, well, that's fantastic. This is exactly what is needed. Because older people find reminiscence, I guess, very valid way, if you like, of exploring what life is about. There's a great wisdom to be shared, and they can often do that through reminiscence. So we get both responses. For the people who are really afraid of opening up old wounds, What we say is that reminiscence isn't about being intrusive. It's not about forcing people to reveal their secrets or to talk about what they don't want to talk about. It's really a gentle knock on the door, if you like, to say, well, I'm here to listen if you would like to tell me what's been happening in in the past. And so the client is always in control. The client is always in charge of how much they say and what they say. And, you know, over the past 10 years, we found that older people living in residential aged care have so much to say, but so few people to say to. That's very true. I know that in my experience, certainly the carers who are involved with older people and who provide care with activities of daily living, the ones that engage in reminiscence, just brief couple of minutes of reminiscence whilst assisting with showers or dressing, have better rapport with their clients. So, you know, as opposed to saying, John, let's get you showered and ready. They, they just start talking about something from their past. And 
their issue has been they've brought up to me they said oh you know i'm not a counselor i'm not a mental health professional but they're not engaging in the counseling they're just asking you know john was a truck driver tell me about where you went on your favorite you know work trips what, what did you do on those days and they have more success in helping him shower than others who come into the room and say john let's go i need to help you with a shower and he says i don't want help with shower he wants to reminisce. He wants to talk about something positive rather than the negative aspects of his current restrictions of not being able to do self-care himself. What is your view on that? Is that okay? Is it okay for people who are not counsellors to speak to people in a social you know, way about reminiscence? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's reminiscence isn't rocket science, firstly, and we all do it anyways. I suppose for the um, for the staff member who's really busy and working in aged care, maybe they, they need to feel they have permission to talk to John or whoever it is that they're helping about that person's life. Maybe while they're going through some of those instrumental caring duties, as you've described, the showering and so on. And in fact, we've observed exactly what you've said, that just the odd question here and there can really spark a relationship of of great value to both parties. And can I say, I mean, as you know, people who work in residential aged care facilities are very well-intentioned. They, they're very warm and generous, uh, but they're very time poor, aren't they? I mean, they're rushing one thing to another and, um, and they cope with a great deal in, in, their, in their day. Uh, and many staff have told us that what really keeps them connected to the facility are those relationships. It's very hard to have a relationship with residents if you don't know who they are. And so find opportunities to ask questions such as, where did you grow up? Or, oh, look at that wall hanging on the wall. My grandmother has one too. Look for questions and statements that might open up a discussion about someone's life. And I think staff will find that the results are quite surprising. So true. I really love that quote. I think that's quite powerful what you said. It, you know, you can't really have a relationship with people if you don't know who they are. And I think sometimes when we are time poor, we tend to generalize and think that people might be similar because they come from the same country or because they have the same interests or they have, you know, they look alike. You know, the the old lady with white hair and a walker. I mean, I've heard that lots of times in aged care facilities. When they're looking for a resident that's gone missing, what does she look like? Oh, she's a little wild, you know, little lady with white hair and a walker. So, it, yeah, it's important to note the individual differences so very much. So, Neil, do you think that we're getting there? Do you think that we're getting better at recognising the emotional needs of older people in residential care? I think we've made such progress. Uh, we're not there yet, but just the discussions that we're now having on public forums like I said earlier, the Aged Care Commission, the $82 million that was opened up by the federal governments. I mean, that is just unheard of. Um, you know, those uh, TV shows that happened a few months ago that showed some of the travesties that do occur in some facilities. I think we're, we're starting to talk more and more openly about aged care residents as not just residents, but as people. And I think we're also getting better at trying to understand how to adapt evidence-based psychological treatments as well. We can't go in there with, you know, all the whiz-bang forms and fancy language that we might use with someone who is younger and uh, someone who is living independently. We need to accept that older people have attitudes and views that are cultivated from their, their time. 
uh, and for them, seeing a psychologist was very stigmatizing, right? And as as you said, if you as you reveal weaknesses uh, as as you see it, you might be locked away. So a lot of the residents are very stoic, right? They really kind of come across as not having any issues or problems. So I think to answer your question, we are we are getting better. Uh, we are getting better at talking about mental health uh, within the aged care sector, and particularly the residential aged care area. But lots more work to be done. Absolutely. Now, I will share the details for the Swinburne National Telehealth Counselling and Support Service uh, for older adults with this um, episode so that people know where to get in touch with the counsellors and how to access the service. It is not about getting in touch with you or reaching to you. I do not want people to do that and <laughs> refer all these clients to you directly. I think it's very important they go through the right channels. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for the interview today and for sharing your wisdom and if people want more information, they can certainly visit the website and the details. Thanks very much. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Be sure to become a subscriber on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss out when I release the next episode. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. So please leave a rating and review too. Over on my website, wisecare.com.au, with one click, you can grab a copy of my three top downloaded resources on mental health and well-being in older age. Let's face it, this can be a complex topic and I want to give you practical strategies to deal with it. Go to wisecare.com.au for your free copy of these three amazing resources. See you in the next episode.